Hello, you're listening to Gaze Gaze, in which we are gay and we gaze into media that's by, for, and about ladies who love ladies. And sometimes we talk about other stuff. I'm Erin, and may I ask how sweet your cinnamon roll is? And I'm Erin, and I'm banned from Dwayne Reed. Erin, I am so excited to talk about Can You Ever Forgive Me today. Me too. (laughs) Though I will say before we start, I have, first of all, a correction from our last episode. (laughs) 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 Because um, it turns out you typo one word just once, and then you're stuck mispronouncing it for an entire hour. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, I learned that it is pronounced um, Maloya Snake. And not Mahola Snake or Maloya Pass. <laughs> and I spent all our entire Clouds of Sales Maria episode mispronouncing the name of a prominent landmark. People don't come to this podcast for correct pronunciation of things. How many Swiss listeners do we have? Ooh, email us at Aaron at gazegaze.com if you live in switzerland or I'm, have ever i'm checking our stats oh oh wow <laughs> stats time we've had we've had at least two people listen to our podcast in switzerland <laughs> so <laughs> i'm uh, so sorry to those two i people. <laughs> know oh my gosh um i am i i like to imagine that they were like oh i want to listen to this episode and then just immediately turned it off i know oh my god don't even <laughs> we also four um, percent of our listeners are from germany too so oh, cool 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 i know but oh my gosh I'm really showing <laughs> my american do you think that this podcast is wonderbar <laughs> Karen, I'm afraid that I have to cancel you. Oh no! <laughs> oh. The other thing is that uh, I wanted to share that we received an email ah. from friend of the podcast, Sammy, who will be guesting uh, two episodes from now to talk about her story, a YouTube series about um, trans women who love women. I'm very excited to get into that with her. But she emailed us to tell us that we should watch Jupiter Ascending. So I have put it on the schedule. Um. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, though I would shoot it back at Sammy that she should be on that episode. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I'll I'll ask her if she wants to do that. I can ask her actually myself. I'm not a coward. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? In regards to us mispronouncing a word, or the entirety of last episode, there is one thing that I would like to ask, which is, can you ever forgive me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah (laughs) which is also today's episode wow transition fucking queen i'm flawless i'm perfect thank you initial content warning for this episode animal death and neglect hiv and aids and poverty i think that that's it i think that's it yeah can you ever forgive me is a movie that i've been recommended so many times since it came out in 2018 like i feel like all of my friends who are really into film have been consistently recommending that i watch this yeah um and i'm glad that we finally got the opportunity to because i really understand why it got all the hype that it got when it came out now yeah i really enjoyed watching this yeah me too since the start of the podcast this has been an episode that i've wanted to do Yep. And I had this um, movie initially recommended to me by a person who was a now sober alcoholic who said that if you wanted to understand alcoholics, that this was the best movie to watch in order to do that, <laughs> which was just like my introduction to this movie. And I feel like it's probably fair. I don't, I don't have any experience with that, but... <laughs> 
Uh, what's this movie about, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm glad to share. Can You Ever Forgive Me came out in 2018. It's a biographical movie by the director Marielle Heller. And it is based on a confessional memoir of the same name by the author Lee Israel. And uh, Lee Israel was an author who was best known for committing literary forgery. And the movie and her memoir tell the story of how she basically got away with committing these crimes for many years of falsifying letters and selling them to make an income. Mm -hmm. So Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel, who at the start of the movie is failing author. Basically, she's had her books out for a while, but they haven't been selling well. Her manager isn't super attentive to her. She has been writing biographies, and um, her manager basically cites her negative and antisocial personality and her struggle with alcoholism um, as some of the main reasons as to why it's been difficult to work with her and why they haven't been promoting her as much. Her alcoholism ends up costing her her day job, and at the time that she's fired, her elderly cat needs medical attention, and she's also behind on her rent. So she's desperate to find a way to survive, and she gets the idea that she'll falsify this letter from an author and sell it. And when it sells quickly and easily, she is able to get medicine for her cat, and she can catch up on her rent, and she realizes that she can make an income by doing this because she's really good at copying other authors' writing styles. Mm -hmm. So she befriends this old acquaintance in a bar, uh, Jack Hawk, who is a homeless gay man who has HIV that's developing into AIDS, and she brings him into her scheme of literary forgery and has him help her develop and sell them. So as she's selling all of these fake works, Lee develops a crush on one of the booksellers who's been buying her forgeries, uh, who's a woman named Anna. And Anna is an aspiring author who has long respected Lee's biographies and knows her for her own personal work. And uh, Anna asks Lee out to dinner. And it's really clear that Anna is interested in Lee, but the date it goes really awkwardly and the relationship just kind of fizzles out from there with Lee leaving Anna hanging at the end of the night. And this can be attributed to Lee's fear of commitment and closeness, as she has said earlier that the reason she ended her last relationship was because her partner wanted to know more information about her and do things together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and she didn't want to do that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Eventually, the FBI catches on to Lee's forgeries, and she gets blacklisted by booksellers all across the country. Um, so then Jack starts selling the forgeries in Lee's place, but eyes are on him as well. And he suggests that Lee go to an archive, steal an actual letter, create a perfect copy, leave the copy in the archive, and keep the original and sell it. So that way she won't be <laughs> caught for <Yeah. laughs> forging it. And if they get it fact-checked, it will be confirmed that it's real. So she goes on this overnight trip to an archive and leaves Jack to watch her elderly cat, who's now on medicine. Um, she successfully steals the document, but she comes home to learn that Jack got high and invited a date into her home, and he gave her cat the wrong medication. Yeah. And she finds her cat dead under the couch. And at this point, she kicks Jack out and effectively ends their friendship and their working relationship. So after this, she meets up with her ex-girlfriend, Elaine, the one who wanted to know more about her and do things, um, to tell her that their cat had died and to ask her for emotional support. 
And it's really clear that Lee still isn't over their relationship because she never truly opened up to Elaine. Uh, But because Elaine had tried time and time again to actually get Lee to open up and to get Lee to stop pushing her away, Elaine is really done with her. And Elaine just leaves Lee sitting on the park bench. And shortly after this meeting, Lee brings Jack back in for one more final deal to sell the letter that she stole, even though she hates his guts. Uh, unfortunately, the FBI is lying in wait to catch her, and they catch Jack immediately. He agrees to sell Lee out for a lesser sentence, receiving only probation. And meanwhile, Lee goes to court and admits that the forgeries weren't worth it, especially because her cat died. But she also acknowledges that this has been the most fun that she's ever had in her life and that she didn't <laughs> really regret it. Um <laughs> The yeah. judge the judge gives her a light sentence of just community service, house arrest, and going to AA meetings, uh, which ends up surprising even her lawyer, especially because she openly admitted that she did not regret doing all of the crime. Right. <laughs> so um, Lee and Jack, after court, meet up in a bar while Lee is supposed to be in an AA meeting. <laughs> uh, and at this point, Jack's health is beginning to decline, though he has started new medication for uh, his HIV treatment and the two of them just chat a little bit and then go their separate ways and in real life uh, Lee died in 2015 due to myeloma or plasma cancer and Jack died just I think a couple of years after they had that final meeting yeah this movie oh my god <laughs> I know um, one thing that like giving a, a short summary can't hit on is like the stress that this movie puts on you as you're watching her like basically wait to get caught yeah. doing this crime. And it's not even that it like it's like a particularly bad crime. It's just that like she's doing really what she has to do to survive. In oh, New like York literally, City. yeah. Like, like she only ever made enough money to like pay her rent and like go to the vet. Like yeah. <laughs> She was not living um, large. <laughs> no, absolutely not. The the stress too that as soon as like she leaves uh, her cat with Jack and is like, he, take care of him. Here are the pills. I was like, oh my god, this cat is gonna fucking die. And <laughs> it was so upsetting. It was oh, so god. upsetting. Yeah, it was. I I don't like animal death in movies. Like, I know most people don't, but I, like, particularly don't. And so I utilize the great resource, if you're not familiar with it, the website Does the Dog Die, which gives you content warnings for animal death in films. You can just search the name of a film and it will tell you. And if you want additional information about what the death looks like, you can also access that there. So I went on Does the Dog Die while we were watching the movie. Is The second I saw that elderly cat, I was like, that cat's oh, yeah. going to die. Like, there's I know. no way around it. and i wanted to know like what i should be bracing myself for (laughs) i know so oh my god it's also upsetting too because the cat like they say elderly cat but the cat's only 12 yeah that old i know sickly Sickly. i think is more yeah 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 that's fair the the cat looks elderly that's true yeah i I guess 12 12 is within the range of elder cats i mean I guess above 10 is technically a senior cat, but yeah. that seems ridiculous. Well, some cats just live longer than other cats. Like my two childhood cats, one lived to be 10 and one lived to be 23. Wow. So, <laughs> so like there's a range. My 10-year-old cat 
spent yesterday running around and screaming with the zoomies. <laughs> oh my god. And if you hear that and you're like, oh no, I wonder if he has hyperthyroidism. He doesn't. I paid $300 to go to the vet to find out that he's just has a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. god. <laughs> the joys of cat ownership. <laughs> yeah, for real. We love our cats. We love our cats. Lee loved her cat. I know. So no. <laughs> yeah. Man. Jack is such an interesting character as well. It, it's sad to see, like, you can predict that he, the cat is going to die in his care, but also, like, he's such a likable guy that you really don't want that to happen. Oh, I know. Like, he's so charismatic. God, I also, I really like, too, that his um his introduction is, like, I don't know, just really well done because, um you know, Lee meets him at a bar and then they go bar hopping and like drinking for the night. They're on the subway together. He's like, where are you getting off? She's like, I'm getting off at, at like 72nd or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, oh, that works for me. And he gets off with her. He walks her to her apartment and then she's like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll go to my apartment. It's like a couple blocks away from here. And then you see him just stand outside and smoke a cigarette um, outside of her apartment because he's homeless. Yeah. I, I don't think that Lee realizes that until later. Um, yeah. I think she, she has like an inclination. She's like, I think that Jack might be homeless. I think that he might be lying about living in the same neighborhood as me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but doesn't exactly know um, until it gets to a point where he, this is something we did not mention. He gets uh, beat up actually on the street. Yeah. He's physically assaulted. And um, he shows up at Lee's apartment and she invites him to live on her couch from that point on. Um, yeah. And it isn't until her cat dies that she kicks him out permanently out of her apartment because he was there for a while. In the book itself, like the Can You Ever Forgive Me memoir, mm -hmm. um, I guess she didn't like write about him that much. Oh. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. I also... I. I, I was interested in reading the book, but just didn't get a chance to, like, after, yeah. or, like, before we record this podcast. Um, I've heard it's good, and that it's, like, I don't know, very gripping, um, just like the movie is. Yeah, I guess she she talks about how, like, eccentric he was, and not, not really that much aside from that. I think that in making this movie, they saw an opportunity to make him into a big character. And uh, Richard E. Grant, who played Jack, actually won 14 awards for his performance. G in this fucking role. deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy also won seven, but he won literally twice as many. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, he is just excellent comic relief. He's a very sympathetic character. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a good performance. Yeah, the performance in, in this movie is like, it's absolutely so good. And notably, <laughs> one of the facts, though, that I love is that this movie came out in uh, 2018. And uh, Melissa McCarthy did get an Oscar nomination for her performance. But she did also win two awards that year. Being at the Razzies, she got... <laughs> A double award for the worst actress for her role in The Happy Time Murders and Life is the Party. 
<laughs> oh my god and i just like the fucking range to have like to get to win two, two razzies. razzies and then also get an oscar nomination in the same category is just absolutely phenomenal <laughs> i know melissa mccarthy is such an interesting person to me like yeah i i actually haven't seen that many of her films um me neither though uh, funnily enough I, and i've been itching to bring this up because i blocked Ooh. it out of my memory one of the f- few movies that i have seen with melissa mccarthy is the film tammy have you heard of tammy no what is tammy so tammy came out in 2014 it's a road trip comedy film where susan sarandon plays like a grandma and tammy is like an unemployed i guess like former fast food worker in her 30s and she's susan sarandon's granddaughter and like (laughs) melissa mccarthy aka tammy like steals susan sarandon from the nursing home if i recall correctly to go on like one last big road trip together Uh and it's you know it's like that super crass, dirty, weird humor that, like, yeah. Melissa McCarthy loves to do. Right, right. But one thing that I completely forgot about that movie is that there is a side plot where Kathy Bates and Sandra O oh are Tammy's lesbian aunts. <gasps> no! Yes. <gasps> That's so good! <laughs> like, I... Remembered this because I read an interview uh, with Melissa McCarthy about her portrayal in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And the, like, the interviewer was asking her about Tammy and was asking her oh about how God. she felt about like Sandra O's performance. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, I completely forgot that Sandra O oh had canonically played yet another lesbian um, in the movie Tammy from 2014, oh, which I could not in good conscience recommend. But now I'm interested in rewatching it just to see Sandra O, oh, you know? Right. Oh, my God. Next podcast episode. <laughs> it's fucking Tammy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Melissa McCarthy movies, but I feel like she she was on um, Saturday Night Live in a period of time where I would like sometimes watch Saturday Night Live, so... I was reading quite a lot about Melissa McCarthy's proximity to the queer community in general, because there's a lot of very interesting things about Melissa McCarthy and her relationship to queerness. Even if Melissa McCarthy doesn't identify as queer herself, I don't know if she does. I don't think she's ever made a statement about it. But she has admitted that she has dated many gay men in the past, that her friend group is over 80% queer people, and that she has a femme drag persona named Miss Y, and she spent most of her childhood growing up wishing that she was a drag queen. Um, oh, <laughs> all of which is very queer activity in my mind. It is. I agree. I I do love that there seems to be a like gender identity that is just like like I am my own drag persona, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Melissa McCarthy in 2016 also admitted to having a girl crush on another celebrity. Her terminology, not mine. Do you want to try to guess who that celebrity was? Oh my, is it Kate McKinnon? No. Oh. Is it Tina Fey? No, though that would be, honestly, I would accept that one. I, I'll give you one more guess, but it's worse than Tina Fey. Oh no. <laughs> I I mean I will I will preface this for by saying that I do actually like a lot of Tina Fey's work, but worse than Tina Fey is like, <laughs> I know. actually kind of a high bar. Um, yeah, I know. That's why. Yeah. Um. Oh no, is it gonna be like Sarah Palin or something? No, it's not Sarah Palin. It's Lena Dunham. 
Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's... Oh. It's a rough one. That's a choice. I know. 2016, maybe she's changed her mind since then. But yeah. yeah. I also will share that in that interview that revealed to me that Sandra Oh was a lesbian and Tammy, the interviewer asked Melissa McCarthy, if you were to play another lesbian role after Lee Israel, who would you want your love interest to be? Which I thought was a very interesting question into the into the brain of Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> who would you want to yeah. date on screen? And she said, that's a tough question. That's like asking, what's your favorite album? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Glenn Close. <laughs> I don't know. There are so many women that I love that I find magical. I couldn't possibly answer that. It would be endless. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so she did say Glenn Close, but she also just loves women. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Is Melissa McCarthy married? Me- <laughs> I tried to search Melissa McCarthy right now. My Google autofilled Melissa McCarthy bisexual based on my investigations. <laughs> um, yes, I she's married that. to Ben Falcone, who's a filmmaker okay. who made Tammy. Oh, no. The director of Tammy. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he also directed Thunder Force, starring Melissa McCarthy, Life of the Party, starring Melissa McCarthy. Wow. Uh, All bad movies. He was in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, wait, really? Yeah, he played a character named Alan. Oh, I wonder if he was one of the booksellers that she sold the letters to. Yes. Yeah, he was one of the booksellers. He was the one with the glasses that... um told her like the fbi contacted me and told me you've been blacklisted i'm not gonna rat you out um but you owe me my money back do you remember that guy yeah 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 i actually i saw his picture and i was like i wonder if that was him yeah that was him so he so he played that role he's the one who was blackmailing her yeah so that's interesting yeah he's he's acted in 55 things Oh, all right. Let me just see. Wait, what is he? Oh, he's only directed six. Yeah, he directed Tammy, Thunder Force, Life of the Party, The Boss, uh, starring Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> Listen, when you love your wife, you love your wife, right? Yeah, like, I can't fall in for that. wrong with that. That is not actually a crime. Um, he also directed Super Intelligence, starring Melissa McCarthy. Every movie that he's directed has had his wife in it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk Lee Israel? Yeah, let's talk about her. (laughs) One thing that I thought that was really interesting was that, like, when they were referencing who she was making the forgeries of in this movie, all of the people that they referenced were, like, queer icons. Yeah. She was making forgeries of queer people because she was able to write what she knew, basically, um, and could make the best forgeries of things that she knew the best, right? Right, yeah. So, like, some of the people that she was making forgeries of were Dorothy Parker, who was an actress in the 20s who openly spoke up for gay rights to mm-hmm. the point that there's a slang term that I don't know if you've heard. But friend of Dorothy. Calling someone a friend of Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's slang for being a gay person. Um, and it, the etymology of it is a little uncertain. It's like, is it because of Wizard of Oz uh, being yeah. from the magical land? you know right over the rainbow yeah exactly or is it because of dorothy parker uh because she was such an outspoken like queer ally in the 20s like oh my god i love that i had never i had only ever heard of it as a reference to the wizard of oz but i feel like it could possibly i think possibly both could be true who knows i think that that is the 
current understanding is that like some people use it to reference Wizard of Oz, other people use it to reference Dorothy Parker, and both are valid. Nice. Um, some of the other people that she was making forgeries of included Marlena Dietrich, who was a gender bending silent film actress, Noel Coward, who was a closeted playwright, and Edna Ferber, who was a novelist who never married and had no re- known romantic no- uh, relationships, which led to a lot of rumors that she was gay, but nothing was ever confirmed. Right, right. So yeah, I just thought that that was all super interesting. Totally. Yeah, I I love that aspect of the movie. Especially since she'd been like researching these people in order to write books about them and then to like use that to make money in a different way <laughs> i know so you it, it's interesting as a viewer too because you get to learn about all of these like uh queer icons from the early 20th century it's this cool. is a movie that like feels very queer through and through because of small things like that yeah i found it really interesting too that like for lee like we mentioned before uh, the forgeries and the amount that she did like it really was never enough for her to like actually make a lot of money on it and i guess actually um it wasn't even really enough that she would it was actually likely that she would go to jail i think that was like played up a little bit in the movie but actually in her obituary um one of the lead investigators from the fbi for her case carl burrell actually wrote that he thought that she was brilliant (laughs) and that his uh favorite letter of hers was an uh impersonation of hemingway oh yeah she was being followed so closely by the FBI for like what seemed like a comparatively small amount of forgeries, but what in reality in a small um yeah, in a trade yeah. in a small trade and small market like literary letters was quite a lot actually yeah to the point that like her letters were pervasive in a lot of spheres and were being traded and sold multiple times and that's something that actually comes up in the movie when somebody acquires one of the letters and has no idea that it is um a lee israel piece and it's being she sees it being sold as authentic in a store and she writes the store owner a letter (laughs) on the same stationery that she used and is like uh like signs it with the author's name who is now dead but dates yeah. it in the present time and is like isn't lee israel like a great writer yeah <laughs> did that actually happen i don't know if that actually no, happened but if it didn't that was mind. just so funny it yeah was so funny yeah it was the original a letter that she had actually just embellished um it was like a real one that was a, a famous writer had written to her and then she had added like a little funny thing at the end to like make it sell for more but yeah i I also love the montage of her like cooking the letters in order to make them seem older and like stuff like that (laughs) yes her going to buy the custom stationery that she ordered but pretending to be the author who is dead because the person making the stationery didn't know yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) she looks so like miffed in that scene too (laughs) yeah they're like, okay, that'll be like 50 bucks or whatever. She's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Israel, she she really just seemed like such a character. I really am interested to read her memoir too. Me too. Yeah. Her writing in the from the letters that we saw, and I have to assume that the letters that they feature in the film were some of her real forgeries. Yeah, um, I w- yeah. They were so funny. That was the They're thing really was funny. that she was writing letters that were really funny to sell because the funny ones were what caught people's attention. Yeah, so, exactly. And also for her to just go to court and be like, 
I don't regret anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's very sad that my cat died, but also, like, I had so much fun and laughed a lot and had a blast, which is also, it's interesting to pair the um, comedy of a lot of what goes on in this film with, like, the very sad and stark reality of what was actually happening. Yeah. With her alcoholism, with her health, with her pet's health, with her financial status, with Jack. Everything that's going on is so, so sad and depressing. But there's like this lighthearted air about everything that's going on because she has to keep using humor in in order to survive. It it makes for a great movie because you do get these scenes of like, you know, it's like kind of tragic to watch these like two alcoholics struggle and then like you get to hear a funny letter (laughs) that she wrote. And and also just kind of, I think there is a little bit of enjoyment too in these letters are being sold to like people with too much money and it's like does it even matter if this letter is real or not if like you're getting enjoyment out of it like yeah like this is her writing but if it was under the the guise of her writing it wouldn't sell for anything and so it's it it is just fun to like enjoy her work selling well with her (laughs) yeah i have to imagine that like if her work can still be sold if it's not like locked away for being a forgery that it would sell so well just because because it's because it's attributed to her now you know Though I guess like even within the world of forgeries, like before her memoir came out and this movie came out, like actually they she wasn't particularly well known. I think maybe because this this whole period of time, like it only took place over like two years. Yeah. Two or three years. Yeah, one thing that we haven't mentioned is that this was not happening in the present day. Oh yeah. Oops. <laughs> In the early 90s, is it? Yes. Because Jack passes away in uh, 1994. So, um, and that's like apparently two years after um, they were caught. Actually, we haven't touched on uh, lesbianism. <laughs> we really haven't. I heard the take that this is like the one of the peak films to describe queer loneliness and queer isolation. Yeah. Oh my God. Which, yes. Um, yes. The tendency to push away people. Is so, yeah. so highlighted here. Fear of closeness, fear of intimacy, mm-hmm. um, fear of vulnerability, uh, because especially at a time when being queer really required you to be extra, extra vulnerable in the height of the AIDS crisis, like... I think, too, when you're struggling with addiction, like, yes. it's it's hard to open up to people and... And, yeah. and poverty as well. Yeah, ex- Totally. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting aspect, too, that uh, Lee starts, like, romantically pursuing, like, one of the people that she's selling fake letters to. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. Uh, It's like, I'm so into her, but I can't, it's that I can't get away. But also, like, if I do get close, she'll find out my secret that I've been scamming her all along. Right? Um, (laughs) So there's that that level. But then there's also just her normal, regular-ass fear of intimacy, like... yeah. Uh, her date like gives her this like short story that she's been working on because Lee said like oh if you give me like some of your writing I'll like look it over and and then like it's that act is like too intimate for her and she can't yeah. actually like bring herself to even read the story yes um, let alone like give her opinion on it yeah it isn't until she I, is it after her cat passes away or is it after 
she is put under house arrest. I think it's after she's put under house arrest. Yeah. Because yeah. after her cat dies is really like her lowest point. <laughs> yes. Yes. That 100% is her lowest point. Or is her lowest point when she brings Jack back in to do the deal and she's like slamming back shot after shot at the bar. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think a combination. Yeah. Well, contacting your ex is also pretty low. I know. Oh my God. Contacting your ex and being like the cat that we got together died. And then the ex being like, I didn't really even realize that like I was the one to give you that cat. (laughs) Yeah. I always just thought it was your cat. And also like, okay. (laughs) Hope you're doing well. Goodbye. Bye. What a, it's also peak peak New York lesbianism to meet in Central Park. Yeah, <laughs> for dis- real. To, with your ex. <laughs> Living in New York and like seeing uh, New York depicted in this movie is also kind of fun because New York is like a lot different than it was like yeah. 30, 40 years ago. And yeah, the, the places that they go, like they go to some places in the West Village and uh, they're even like like on the like upper West Side. Um, mm-hmm. which at the time was like pretty affordable areas to live in and now is like bougie ass areas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And didn't you say that like um at one point they go to a burlesque bar and you were like, I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I it looked like they're in like Greenwich Village and I it looks like it's the high low. I was trying to like research online to like see all the areas that they've been in. There is like a bar that they frequent which is like just an actual gay bar in New York. Um, it's in Chelsea, but I can't remember the name of it at this moment. But yeah, the the one where they're at the one where there's like a burlesque show. It looks like a bar in Greenwich Village, but I think it's actually a fictional bar that, that they visit. The bar that they frequent that actually exists is called the Julius. The bar that I was thinking of in Greenwich Village is is the up and up, not the high, high low. Different directions. <laughs> Hilo is in uh, Brooklyn. Okay. It's a tease place. I guess going back to the movie, um, the date that she goes on to, I guess, like, kind of in a depressing way, reminded me of dates that I've been on where, like, all of a sudden, like, the mood shifts and you're like, oh, like, either I'm not interested anymore or this other person isn't interested anymore. And there's, like, the awkward moment of, like... I'll see you later. Like, bye. And then you're like, I'm never going to see this person again in my life. Yes. Yeah. But I don't know. It's kind of a shame in this case because it's not yeah. for, It's not that they don't like one another. It's no, no. Because yeah. they do. It's that, like, right? Lee has issues. Exactly. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm laughing as I said that. But it is legitimately really sad when that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm laughing through the pain. Yeah. Actually, one thing that I wanted to say, to loop back to um, Anna sharing the story that she wrote with Lee, I read a take online that um, Lee didn't like this because it turned their, like, romantic connection into a working relationship. And it showed that Anna only ever liked her as a writer and not as a person i think that my my interpretation of it was that like lee had the realization that like anna really respected her a lot and that scared her yeah i i agree that was also my reading of this yeah because yeah it, it, i mean like lee hadn't been taken seriously as a a writer for like a really long time at that point like by her her editor and by like the community like she's in one of a book the bookstores like trying to sell some of her old books and 
um she's like you sell my books here and the guy's like yeah we do they're over on the like bargain bin <laughs> like area yeah it was just like it was like oh fuck this is real like i can't yeah. actually deal with that yep another thing that we haven't talked about is tom clancy <laughs> I <laughs> uh, tom wait go ahead <sighs> So I was watching, I, I had seen um, this half of this movie before on a plane, um, and then I wasn't able to finish it. And so I had, there's a party where um, Leah's Real is at, and it's like with a bunch of um, people from her uh, publishing house, and one of them is Tom Clancy. I did not know that it was Tom Clancy until I watched this movie with subtitles, and the subtitles say Tom Clancy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, please continue. Um. <laughs> Tom Clancy is featured in this movie as kind of like an antagonist to Lee's work, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in that, like, Lee Israel and Tom Clancy have the same manager, and their manager is constantly, like, promoting Tom Clancy's work and getting him these massive, like, multi-million dollar deals. Yeah. And um, Lee harbors a lot of resentment about this because she's like, I don't understand why this, like conservative pushing warmongering author is getting all of this press and all this all these resources when like i'm creating work about like people who aren't regularly being profiled about like women particularly she was writing biographies and writing a lot of her work about women and her shit was not getting promoted at all and she very much thought that it was a bias for white men and particularly white straight conservative men um, mm-hmm. in the publishing industry at the time and that that was setting her back in her career right and her manager was basically like stop feeling like so entitled like tom clancy is as popular because he's gregarious and has a good personality meanwhile like you are rude and mean and right like, like he goes on talk shows like he promotes his books he does interviews yeah i have a lot of friends that are in publishing and they none of them like will take lists like the new york times bestseller list seriously because the way that that is like figured is like the publishing houses will be like we want to we want to publish like this many books because we think that we can sell this many books and then the new york times is like wow that so these many books are being printed it's on the bestseller list and so it's like it's kind of all fake basically yeah Like, if you, like, it's basically decided by the publishing house, like, what is on the bestseller list and what isn't. So, if only Lee Israel had been given a chance. Yeah. Honestly, this this movie's really good. Go watch it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, definitely definitely watch it. It it got a lot of hype, and it deserves the hype that it got. Melissa McCarthy gave a great performance, as did, obviously, uh, Richard E. Grant as Jack. Yeah, it's really good. Um... It, again, if you want more specifics about the animal death in the film, just check out Does the Dog Die? Yeah. And... it's it, I, I found it rough. <laughs> yeah. But I think maybe just the having a cat and also all the buildup to the cat dying um, was was tough to deal with. That's something that I'm like, do, do we need to have it in the movie quite like that? No. Yeah. Just too, because you know it's going to be the end of their friendship, her and Jack's, I mean. Yeah. Like, like, I don't think you can come back from that. No. No. Anyway. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. If you feel like doing it, you should follow us on Twitter. We're at Gaze Gaze. And you can send us messages or DMs 
And you can also email us at Aaron at gazegaze.com to send us thoughts, ideas, and recommendations. Believe it or not, we have our schedule built out for like May, but we're looking to put some stuff on the summer schedule, particularly if you have recommendations for like just films or shorter series. We would really appreciate Mm -hmm. them so we can add them in. Yeah. Um, We don't mention this often, but also if you feel like leaving a review, you can also do that on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and and doing so really helps us out. All of our thanks to Leslie and Kate from Neon and Nude for letting us use their songs Lick and Love and You Pretty Thing for our intro and our outro music. You should go buy their album at neonandnude.bandcamp.com, but you can also stream it on Spotify. Next week, we... (laughs) Next week... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> next episode we're doing Bayonetta not Bayonetta not Bayonetta 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 um, we should do Bayonetta sometime actually that would be really fun Benedetta Benedetta it is a film that just came out in 2021 by Paul Verhoeven and it's based on a true story about Benedetta Carlini who was a 17th century none we're kind of on this kick of doing based on a true story films for a minute yeah, here yeah right, it's been fun right. yeah um also if you if you don't recognize the name uh paul verhoven did robocop and showgirls and total recall and total recall and now so, he's di- and then he did vendetta and, and we're yeah. gonna talk about it oh my god there's so much to say i'm, I'm so, so excited, excited. <laughs> Okay, well, until then, I'm Erin. And I'm Erin. And we're gay. We're gay. That's all. Bye. Bye. If you love